Welcome to the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast. Classic music reviews presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and of course, we're still in lockdown and quarantine, and some signs that things are tending to be lifted as far as the restrictions, as far as the stay-at-home orders here for COVID-19, but we're still here in the crib, still producing things and still making things happen here for the vault. Shout out again to my crew who... Hopefully one day we'll be back with me once again once this all settles down. But we're going to continue to pump things out. And of course, we appreciate y'all for listening to us, for subscribing, to listening, to sharing, to see everything continuing to grow here with The Vault, man. We do it here all for you as we continue to chop it up over the classics. Just a shout out to all the listeners in the United States and worldwide. Of course, the check-ins coming from here in the USA, United Kingdom, Canada, Sweden, Brazil, Japan, South Africa, the Netherlands, Shout out to the Dutch, Australia, Norway, Germany, Denmark, Poland, Spain, Taiwan, Italy, Mexico, Thailand, France, Belgium, Chile, Armenia, Colombia, Estonia, Greece, South Korea, Turkey, Kenya, Serbia, Romania, Portugal, Malaysia, Switzerland, among others. We want to thank you all for checking in with us here with The Vault this month. As things continue to progress, we do everything here for y'all and continue to give you the classics of your life and all the classic music that has come out over these last 20, 25, and 30 years. And of course, we have a good one today. We go back to 1990, straight to the West Coast, to one of the architects of the West Coast sound and West Coast hip-hop, especially in the new age. We are talking none other than Ice Cube's America's Most Wanted, the debut album of Ice Cube, his solo debut, released May 16th, 1990, on Lynch Mob and Priority Records. This was Ice Cube's debut after leaving the rap supergroup NWA, who released Straight Out of Compton in 1988, had their world tour in 1988 and 89. And due to a dispute that Ice Cube had with Ruthless, primarily stemming from a contract dispute drawn up by Eazy-E and Jerry Heller, decided to go out on his own for his own solo project. And there was a lot of contention regarding his departure, being as though that he was the architect along with MC Rem to many of the rhymes that were written, these rhymes that were written mainly for Easy e but then also primarily sometimes for Dr. Dre. Now, Dr. Dre and DJ Yellow were the ones who handled the production on the NWA albums, but it was up to Ren and Cube to write the lyrics, and many of the lyrics that you hear, including the classics ones from Straight Outta Compton, came right from the pen of Ice Cube. And he had been already a established MC and writer throughout the California, Southern California, L.A. hip hop scene for a while. When he joined N.W.A., he was the one who penned a lot of these lyrics along with MC Ren. Now, he felt like he wasn't getting his due. The contract he felt was not up to snuff. So therefore, he decided to leave and wanted to go out on his own. So it came out with America's Most Wanted released in 1990, released May 16, 1990. Recorded on Green Street Studios in New York City, and this is an interesting tale that we'll get into a little bit how he attended recording this in New York, and he relocated to New York to record this album. 
there's a backstory to speak about as far as what happened with the recording of this album and how it came about. Producers on this, of course, were the Bomb Squad, who is Public Enemy's production team who crafted many of their hits in the late 80s and the early 90s. They linked up with Ice Cube to do this album and collaborated as well with uh, the Lynch Mob and also Sir Jenks, who co-produced many of these tracks on the album with the Bomb Squad, creating a very unique sound for this album coming out being one of the biggest solo rap albums of that era, especially in L.A. hip hop and Southern California hip hop. Ice Cube following in the steps of N.W.A. and as well Ice-T, who released uh, Ryan Pays back in 1987. Going with this, it was recorded between January and March of 1990. He moved very quickly to get this album out and had it produced in Green Street Studios, worked alongside with Chuck D and also Flavor Flav, who appear on guest appearances on this album. He also had guest appearances, of course, the first time that many of us heard from Yo-Yo, one of the dopest female MCs ever, and definitely a pioneer in West Coast female MCs. She bought a flavor of having being featured on a track, It's a Man's World, with Ice Cube on this, and we would hear from Yo-Yo as the years started to go around, and she carved out a niche for herself and made a legendary career. But America's Most Wanted, released in May of 1990, this was his debut album. So the story sort of works like this. In 1990, after Ice Cube left NWA and had his own, was looking for own record, his own record deal, he decided to leave. And of course, he was the biggest part of that group in terms of the MCs. He was the most skilled MC. He had the best pen. He brought really the dynamic that made Straight Outta Compton such a classic because the lyrics that he penned were groundbreaking. They were harsh. They had social and political themes to them. It was educated. It was entertainment. It was edutainment. So he decided to leave and NWA decided to go on without him. And there was some tension, of course, between the two of them. You'll see that some of that in this album, but more so in the next album after NWA released 100 Miles and Running, where they dissed Ice Cube and Ice Cube then responded with No Vaseline, which appeared on the next album, Death Certificate, which came out in 1991. When he released his original album, was looking to construct an album, what Ice Cube wanted is he wanted Dr. Dre to produce his next album. He wanted Dre to do America's Most Wanted, but that move was vetoed supposedly by Jerry Heller, and also Easy didn't want Dre to do the album. Dre himself reportedly, according to Cube, wanted to produce the record, but it was way too crazy of a breakup with NWA and Jerry Heller and Easy feeling uh, spurned by Ice Cube leaving the group decided to nix the idea of Dre producing Ice Cube's album. Being that what it was, Ice Cube decided to leave and was going over to the East Coast and actually went, it was in 1990, to go over to New York to Def Jam's studios and offices in New York City. Now, he had a meeting set up and Cube's management contacted uh, Lior Cohen, uh, a Def Jam executive, and also East Coast producer Sam Seaver. Sam, who helped produce uh, New York's uh, group's third bases, their debut, the Cactus album in 1989. He had an interest, and Cube wanted to work with him, so he wanted to be able to have an opportunity to get him to work as a producer. The story is, is that when Ice Cube, and this is a story from OK Player talking about the 30-year anniversary of America's Most Wanted, Ice Cube touched down in New York, got to the Def Jam offices, and Steve Seaver was no Sam Seaver was nowhere to be found. As luck, or as they say, fate ended up happening. Cube ran into none other than Chuck D, who was the leader and the front man for Public Enemy, 
and Public Enemy was on Def Jam at that time, and they were working on an album at that time, which was Fear of a Black Planet, which we reviewed a couple of episodes ago. Chuck saw Cube, they chopped it up, and decided Chuck told him to join him at Green Street Studios in where Manhattan. And what happened? That meeting turned into where Cube recorded his guest verse for Burn Hollywood Burn, a track on Fear of a Black Planet, which also featured Big Daddy Kane. They released that as a single on Fear of a Black Planet, and that was Ice Cube's first appearance on Wax, and he hadn't yet had a record deal, and it did drum up some anticipation of what people thought Cube could do by himself as a solo artist. Now, during that recording for Burn Hollywood Burn, Cube was introduced to the Bomb Squad. That legendary and also innovative production style sort of piqued his interest. So Cube, at that point in time, was looking to try to find a producer and couldn't meet up with Sam Seaver, so decided to talk to the Bomb Squad. So the Shockley brothers, uh, Eric and Keith Sadler, decided to uh, offer him to uh, not only produce not just a track or two, but to also to oversee the album's productions in its entirety. Now, along with that, what Cube did and his producer, Sir Jenks, did, they worked over the next few weeks, Cube and Jenks, along with the Bomb Squad, to dig for samples in a warehouse in Long Island to look for samples in order to be able to get things to construct the production for this album. Now, this took a little bit of time, and then afterwards, what they did was come up pretty much with about two crates. And if you think about the record crates, they're pretty big. About two crates worth of albums that they would use with samples that they pretty much used to construct this album. This is a little bit different for Jenks and Cube because they were two kids from Cali. They were coming over to the East Coast to produce an album, which back then, people from different coasts and different areas didn't necessarily collaborate with each other. It's not like the way it was now or even later on in the 90s where you had artists from all over, West Coast artists with East Coast artists after the whole East Coast, West Coast beef and troubles and people from down south doing with rappers from up north and the Midwest and so on. So they got a crash course in the Bomb Squad method of production and also of recording. While they were there, there were many other rappers there that they ran into, rappers such as Busta Rhymes, Redman, EPMD's Eric Sermon, also Big Daddy Kane, that pretty much lent themselves to the recording of this album and, you know, lent their hands, offered, you know, feedback, and also created sort of like a camaraderie with Cube and Jenks while they were there. This was like the first integration between East Coast and West Coast rappers and producers and groups that lended to have this project put out. And what it did was sort of break down the territories and also break down a fact, because at that point, a lot of New York rappers sort of looked at Cali rappers is inferior and what this did was sort of help to break down those walls when they saw how skilled that cube was and how dedicated that jinx was to getting this album produced and out so they worked on this in green street studios and recording in 12 hour sets they would go through and record and made this album had this done generally in about two months which for an album like this to take for even back then to record an album, have it produced and ready in two months to be released a couple of months later is a pretty overwhelming task when you think about it. It ended up coming out, Public Enemy and the Bob Squad had a very large influence on this, and this came out with America's Most Wanted. This was really Cube's first chance to take his sound, his style, and also rap about the things that he wanted to rap about once he was able to secure his deal and record his album he wanted his imprints all over this album, and you can definitely hear that. What you hear is a lot of N.W.A. Cube, but what you start to see, what you would see in this album and in albums that followed afterwards, is really Cube's street knowledge. And also being able to paint stories, not just from South Central L.A. and Compton 
and Southern California inside of the black community. Many of the things that we talk about, we talked about Southern California and the hoods and the ghettos back then. Things like, of course, like drug use and drug dealing, gang activity, killings, shootings, poverty, all those things. What he did was sort of give you a window when he did America's Most Wanted into life in the ghetto. But it wasn't just strictly just about life in the ghetto and how things were as if it was sort of normalizing it. What he did was paint it in the context of how that fit into the rest of America and how it fit into American society. That's what made this album so critical and so important because what you saw throughout this is sociopolitical commentary by Cube. And if you listen to the album sort of just at the surface, you sort of hear something and you won't really dig into it. But the more that you dig into this album, you dig into the lyrics and you dig into the themes that are being done, even with the sampling and the samples that were chosen by the Bomb Squad and Sir Jenks in producing this album. You start to see just beyond the surface level. There's a whole lot more there. And as you listen to Cube and as you hear a lot of the things that he started talked about, he became a lot more politically conscious. And what he wanted to do was to show America how much of a, the mirror of what black America looked like in its ills and not just the role that black people and the people in the community played in by making it this way, but how the choices of politics and racism and discrimination played into it as well from the criminal justice system to funding for the public racial profiling to police brutality, all those things sort of mixed into one. So what you had was an album that was crafted very carefully and went to show a message that just beyond the surface level wasn't just gang gang banging and drive-by shootings and all the things that you associate with Southern California, LA hip hop being so based in the ghetto and ghetto based music. It really had a message into it. Now, what further complicates this is that he was very heavily criticized, Q was, in regards to some of the misogynistic content, and rightfully so, which we understand that this was a different time. And when you talked about some of the things that came from the censors and government officials and people who were critics, critics of rap lyrics, they would always cite people like Ice-T and Ice Cube and Tupac Shakur and a lot of the stuff like Two Live Crew. They would talk about some of the misogynistic content, which is rightfully so, but what Cube had was just more to just beyond misogynistic content. And he toned that down in some of his later releases. There was much more of a message behind it. And that's the reason why this album is so important. As a matter of fact, Cube had an interview with ABC news that he did right around the uh, release of this album on ABC news, where they did a feature on ice cube and America's most wanted in the way that he grew up. Now this album was very successful and it's interesting because there weren't really a lot of singles that were released on the radio. This was not very heavily promoted. The content was considered to be so raw and so explicit that radio couldn't play a lot of the records that Cube had. And despite that, he still had success with this album going platinum, mostly out of word of mouth and out of the respect in the community for people knowing what Cube could do. He was still able to have success, but he had an interview with ABC News in 1990 right around the release of America's Most Wanted based on him, his community, the message he was trying to get out. And it's just a few just clips that you see what Ice Cube and the interview that he had with ABC News, what he had to say about America's Most Wanted, about him and about what he was trying to do with his music. You can't with the criminal rapping over gangsta shit. First I load the clip and then I make the hit. Ice Cube sees himself as a social commentator. His music is a chronicle of the killings and the drugs and the poverty in parts of black America. Yeah. 
like to show the black community, you know, I like to hold a mirror up to them and say, look what you're doing. Look, how can you get yourself out of this situation or do you want to get yourself out of this situation? All you motherfuckers in Houston is most wanted. You sing a lot about violence in the community. Yeah. You've seen violence firsthand? Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, it's like, yo, out of all the kids I grew up with, at least 13 of them are dead. And, and that's before they even reach 21. You know, I'm, I just turned 21, so, you know, I, I thank God that I've reached 21. The fact is, a lot of black kids don't. The leading cause of death among young black men in America is homicide. It's like a war on black young males with baseball caps and t-shirts. I'm an endangered species myself. So Ice Cube wrote a song called Endangered Species. About what he sees as white police brutality and about how black kids kill other black kids to settle scores they can't even remember. These kids out here that's fighting in the street are fighting over stuff that happened in 72. You know what one, I mean? One kid kills another kid, his friend it's retaliate, goes... boom, boom, boom. Now they lifelong enemies. Yeah. And the kids that's growing up, yo, you you just known you're supposed to hate now. You don't even know why at this point. You don't even know why. So this is like a retaliation. A drive-by shooting is about to happen. When I got sword off, bodies are hard off. It's a shame. And niggas are young. Blood to the light side, it don't matter none. It'll be a drive-by Tell from the dark side. Who, who's the light side? What does that mean? The, the light. The, the white side. The white side. It tells from the dark side. It tells from the black side. You don't think white America cares about what's going on? No. Nah. You really don't? Not in, no, no, I really don't. Not until it started hitting home. I remember I used to be right here every Sunday. This is home for Roche Jackson. Right here, playing football in the street. This is where he grew up, a section of south-central Los Angeles where the lawns are manicured and the streets are clean. Looks like a pretty nice middle-class neighborhood. Yeah, that's what makes it so dangerous because it's so unpredictable. What do you, you mean? Know? I know a guy that got shot right over there. Are you serious? It looks like Beaver Cleaver lives up the block there. You know? Looks like Beaver Cleaver wouldn't step foot in here after dark. <laughs> But the real-life victims of black violence and black alienation, overwhelmingly, are black kids themselves. There's more good kids yeah. out here than there are bad kids. And that's what we showing the kids. Yo, put that down, put this up. So there you have it. The talk as far as with Ice Cube and what it was he was trying to do with America's Most Wanted. And you hear that throughout this album. And as Cube decided went on... And even after this, when he converted to the Nation of Islam, you could see that he started to tone down a lot of the misogynistic things that were happening in America's Most Wanted. But you can't ignore the commentary that happens without here. And here we are 30 years later. We talk about a track like Endangered Species, which we'll get to the tracks in just a second. I mean, here we are, Ahmaud Arbery. We talk about things like Freddie Gray, things like Alton Sterling, Akai Gurley. Uh, also, uh, you know, all these different uh, things that have happened, Laquan McDonald. And it's almost like, history of stand stood still we talked about so many of these different themes just like in public enemies fear of a black planet just like in dead prayers let's get free a lot of the things they were talking about 20 and 30 years ago are still 
still relevant to this day because of the things that are happening. Things really haven't changed that much. And even back then, he was talking about things happening in L.A. when it came to police brutality. This was even before Rodney King. So even before Rodney King and the L.A. riots happening in South Central, it was almost like he was foreshadowing things that were going to happen. Like the things exploded racially in L.A. And to him, this wasn't a surprise because if you lived in these ghettos and people where black people grew up specifically in the South Central, Southern California, L.A. neighborhoods, they saw these things happening all the time. And all Cube was was like he was saying, reporting straight from live from the streets, straight from what was happening right there on the front lines. So that's why this album is so important. We're going to get into a little bit about the album as far as where I was when I first heard this. Now, this was not the first Ice Cube album that I heard. I think the first one that I heard in depth all the way front to back was The Predator. But as time went on, I started to dig into Ice Cube's work when I started to go into NWA's work. And then also looking back, I started to listen to Death Certificate and then, of course, America's Most Wanted. I think when I listened to America's Most Wanted, I was probably, I would say, in the 11th or 12th grade when I finally heard this album front to back. And I was a big hip hop head. I used to go back and look at I used to read The Source and also things like Vibe Magazine, Word Up Magazine and when the 10 year anniversary of this came around, I started to see and go back when they started to go back into the crates and back into the lab to saw that this was a five mic album with the source, which piqued my interest because, you know, back then you took the source mic ratings very seriously. And when I first heard it, you know, I heard a lot of the things that I'd heard from Ice Cube before. And when I dug into NWA's discography and heard straight out of Compton, I heard a lot of the same things as well. And at this point, by the time I'd heard it, Ice Cube had become a huge star, but was going to become a megastar. He had gone just outside of music, but then also was in movies and his movie career would get even bigger as the next decade went along and the decade after that to the point where now he's a multimedia and multi-platform superstar along just with music. Hell, people nowadays will probably kids you talk nowadays probably won't even remember Ice Cube as a rapper. You know, he's a movie star and a mogul, but this sort of reminds you exactly where his roots were from. Listening to it, though, I was intrigued by what I heard. You know, you didn't really hear and wouldn't think about West Coast MCs. A lot of them sounded like the way the Cube sounded. But he had a really, really great sound and a great voice as always, man. It's one of the things, like we talked about Chuck D's voice a couple of months ago. Same thing with Cube, man. Cube had a very distinctive voice, and that was one of his greatest assets as an MC was his voice and also his delivery. I was intrigued by what I heard. Now to just get into the standout tracks on this album, and there's plenty of them to go through. Uh, just off the top, listening to Better Off Dead and that intro of him being sort of being led down death row into being able to be executed. But the album kicks off, and you can hear that production by Sir Jenks and the Bomb Squad start to come off off the first track of The Nigga You Love to Hate. And the samples of here are meant. Look at the research of this album to see all the samples that were used. Very hard driving, very energetic beats. And that just shows the work that Jenks and Bomb Squad put in on to do with this. But my favorite tracks on here, of course, is The Nigga You Love to Hate, Gotta Love America's Most Wanted, You Can't Fade Me, J.D.'s Gaffling. Now, that this is a song that was a little controversial, especially because some of the lyrics that Cube actually used where he was talking about a tale about him being with the girl and supposedly she coming up and saying that she's pregnant and the kid was his. Now he of course doesn't want the kid. So what does he say? Think about, he was thinking about doing talking about some, he said he had to kick the bitch in the tummy. Now lyrics like that nowadays would be reprehensible and it would really be, I mean, he would probably be ran through the ringer for saying something like that. Um, back then, 
we don't have the sort of the consciousness that we would have now. It was still a really, really cringeworthy line. I remember when I heard it, listening to it this week, I was like, oh, damn, he did say that, didn't he? <laughs> it was really it was really like, oh, man, that's that's crazy that he would say something like that. But it was all it was all the story. But that was an interesting track. The storytelling on here that you hear on You Can't Fade Me, of course, once upon the time of the projects where he was talking about going to visit a girl in the projects and didn't realize until he was fully in there that he was in a crack house talking about her, the girl's mother coming into the room with a blunt in her mouth, smoking some loud, and her girl's little brother was three years old, snotty-ass nose, smelled like he had just shit on himself, you know, and he was just like, well, damn, what the fuck is going on? Like, bitch, you invited me over here to some crack house? <laughs> And then the cops come in and then break the door down because it's a crack house. So, of course, they're going to be coming in to break the door down to arrest people. But really great storytelling on tracks like that. Like, you can't fade me once, time, once upon a time of the projects. Another track that has great storytelling aspects is, of course, the gangster's fairy tale. What I would describe is sort of like the West Coast version and more explicit version of Slick Rick's children's story, except... He used a lot of different images in here and also a lot of the things with uh, when it came to uh, children's themes and also stories such as fairy tales like Humpty Dumpty and the Three Little Pigs and Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and Cube's brilliance in here and taking these things and sort of using these images to translate into life in the ghetto and God, it was like, it was crazy, like, listening to that, especially in that third verse where he talks about Humpty Dumpty and the three little pigs talking to the wolf and Mr. Rogers being involved. Really great images and really great lyrics. One of my other favorites on here as well is Endangered Species. And this, to me, I think is probably my favorite track on this album. This features Chuck D. As you know, they were very involved. Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad were very involved with this album. Chuck D giving one of his greatest feature verses, I think, on this in the third verse. But this is probably one of my favorite verses from Cube as well with Endangered Species. He goes to talking to two different aspects, as they mentioned in the interview. One, police brutality in the herd. And, of course, the violence against black men, sometimes just and definitely unjust. And the fact that police brutality and misconduct was very prevalent in the hood at that particular time then also the other part of it was taking of course the violence against each other in these black communities where as cube mentioned in the interview you got beefs between neighborhoods that went back decades and people are still beefing over something that they don't even know what they're beefing about and if you talk to any community like that where you have poor black communities and ghettos where they are beefs between people that live a couple of blocks away from each other, but they live in the same neighborhood, but they beefing, but, but for what? That's probably my favorite track on there because it's hard-hitting, it's relevant in terms of the content, and also great verses by Cube and also by Chuck D. Now, there was an appearance on here by Flavor Flav. Another one of my tracks that I like as well with Flavor Flav and Ice Cube, but I'm only out for one thing. Rolling with the Lynch Mob is another one of my favorite ones as well, and... Probably my second favorite track on here is It's a Man's World featuring Yo-Yo. Now, let's talk about how interesting this was to feature a female rapper on a track with a rapper like Ice Cube. And this is really the first time that any one of us had heard Yo-Yo. The two of them are sort of going back and forth. And it's a classic male-female perspective on a track speaking about, you know, it's different type of things. And Yo-Yo definitely holds her own on this. And I think a lot of us were surprised to be able to hear someone like Yo-Yo. We had never heard of her before. And she's here going toe-to-toe with Cube on a track. And conceptually, it's a really, really good, really, really good track. 
And it's only foreshadowed of what we were going to see with Yo-Yo for years to come. And Yo-Yo made a name for herself through not just this track, but through all the different other tracks she did heading later on into the 90s. And if you've seen the unsung about Yo-Yo, you would know that she had lots of respect in the game because of her skill that she could go toe-to-toe with a lot of rappers out there. And I think we need to start to give her her flowers because she needs to be recognized for what it is that she's done definitely in the game as a pioneering female MC. The last track on the album, The Bomb, really kind of gets it. And the way to me, the way that this ends and those last bars now, now who's rolling with the lynch mob? And it just ends just like that. To me, this sort of mirrors public enemy fear of a black planet, the way that it ends, how that ended really, really abruptly. And it seems to be a signature for what the bomb squad did. And also Cube looking to have those last lines and then bam, the album just cuts off. Um, Who's the Mac? I think that's probably my favorite beat here on the album because of the samples. Samples on there like I Want to Get Down by Fred and the JBs, Hahachi by Lafayette's Afro Rock Band, Humpty Dance by Digital Underground, and T Stands for Trouble by Marvin Gaye. Really soulful track. Great uh, tr- uh, brass sound in there. The trumpet sound and sample that really to me made that track uh, stand out. Get Off My Dick and Tell Your Bitch to Come Here is a really, really short one. Um, really, really short track, but a great verse there by Cube. What They're Hitting For is another good one, of course. I, don't, I really like all the tracks on here. To me, there really isn't a soft spot on this album or a disappointment on this album. Any lowlights. Everything on here was really well done. and The production by The Bomb Squad and Jenks was really great. I think what, to me... What is more impressive on here, just or just as impressive as Cube's lyrics, was the fact that the Bomb Squad sort of produced almost in a different style the way they did with Public Enemy. As you hear Fear of a Black Planet and hear some of their later productions, you sort of know that as producers and as groups of producers, we sort of get into a wheelhouse, and we stick with that wheelhouse no matter what. Now, the great ones can sort of tailor their production to someone else's style and other artists that they produce with. Uh, If you look at a lot of the great producers, they do a great job of doing this. Pete Rock has done it. Dr. Dre has done it. DJ Premier has done it. Large Professor and the Bomb Squad did this as well. The way that they sort of took and adapted their style of producing and almost sounds while it sounds similar to what they did of Fear on a Black Planet. It's different. You can tell that there are different elements in sort of the direction that they took to the samples, to the tempos, to the drum samples, to the to the vocal samples that they used. They really sort of tailored, tailored this towards Ice Cube's style, and it all kind of worked. So I think that's what's really impressive about this is the fact that you had the Bomb Squad really be able to craft a similar type of sound to Fear of a Black Planet, but it not be the same. And But it was similar enough to know that the Bomb Squad may have done this, but they did a great job of really tailoring this to Cube's lyrics and also to his flow because it all kind of worked out. And for the time, you can definitely tell the tempos, the drum samples, everything else included in this all was tailored to the, to the way that the style was at that particular time and what Cube was doing. No low lights for here on this to me. I think this is uh, a well-crafted, really, really well-produced album. And it was a uh, great feat for Cube to be able to travel over to New York to work with the Bomb Squad to get him off to a great start. As we talk about notable quotables, there are tons of them on here. And you heard a lot of them on that interview with Cube. But my notable quotables for me can be the whole song of America's Most, on America's Most Wanted of Tales from the Dark Side, a.k.a. Endangered Species. I say that because of the lyrics that are on here. All three of the verses really hitting hard. And in verse one, you have Ice Cube talking about, of course, the police brutality and misconduct. The second one is basically talking about the type of things that go on in the ghetto. And of course, it's a story about there something happening with somebody getting smoked and him having to think about payback. And then Chuck D, of course, 
talking about things as far as like America as a as a war scene and him being able to report to it from the front lines. My notable quote will really come from verse one from Ice Cube, where he says, peace, don't make me laugh. All I hear is motherfuckers rapping suck attached, living large, telling me to get out the gang. I'm a nigga got to live by the trigger. How the fuck you figure that I can say peace and gunshots will cease. Every cop killer goes ignored. They just send another nigga to the morgue. A point score they can give a fuck about us. They'd rather catch us with guns and white powder. If I was old, they'd probably be a friend of me. And since I'm young, they consider me the enemy. They killed 10 of me just to get the job correct. The serve, protect, to break a nigga's neck. Because I'm the one with the funk in the trunk. And funk the police in the tape deck. You should listen to me because it's more to see. Call my neighborhood a ghetto because it's house minorities. The other color don't know you can run and hide. These are the tales from the dark side. Like I said, he was just foreshadowing what was going to come because it's pretty much the same thing what you saw. A couple of years later after this was released, what happened? For a year after this was released, we had what happened with Rodney King. And then less than a year later, you had the not guilty verdict by those four L.A. cops, which led to the L.A. riots, which pretty much destroyed a big portion of South Central and a big part of that part of L.A., which was all over the news at that particular time. And I was in the fifth grade when that was happening. So it was really major, major news of the things that happened from the L.A. riots as a result of that Rodney King verdict. But there are tons of quotables and stuff on here. You could even listen to a lot of the songs, even listening to A Gangsta's Fairy Tale and also Once Upon a Time of the Projects. Like I said, one of the most underrated parts of Cube's early career was him being able to tell stories. And there are really great stories that he tells here. It really shows his versatility and dexterity as an MC to be able to view and also weave these stories in his lyrics about life, pretty much how his life was in South Central and in the ghetto. This is really a big part of what made Cube such a great MC him being able to do things like tell stories. And you see a lot of that in America's Most Wanted because it was commentary, commentary on how life was at that particular time. He, of course, said that he wanted to show a mirror, not just to black America, but to America by itself. Is like, this is what life is for us. This is what you've made us. And now we get to, as far as talking about the legacy of this album and sort of the accolades that it's received. Now, there are many things that happen. As I mentioned before, this was a five-mic album in the source. This was one of the two albums that received five mics from the source for Ice Cube. The other was his second album, Death Certificate, which came out the following year, was also considered a classic. Now, if you want to talk about in terms of where this stands in the time that it was in 1990, this has been very highly regarded and has gotten more accolades as time has gone on. This album has aged like fine wine for a lot of people. Now, in terms of some of the accolades that it received, About.com said it was the second best rap album in 1990. Uh, Ego Trip said it's 25 hip-hop, greatest hip-hop albums of all time from 1980 to 1998. They said that this was number one. Uh, <laughs> really interesting. Spence said it was number one album of the year for in 1990. As far as albums of the year, Village Voice gave it the number six album of that time. Of course, The Source gave it a five mic rating at that time. And uh, just a little story as far as like how much better it has gotten. Originally in 1990, Rolling Stone, which we know can be less than friendly when it comes to the rap genre at times, gave this album only a two and a half out of five stars in 1990. And Alan Light, who wrote for Rolling Stone, says that the relentless profanity grows wearisome. The bomb squad beats lose steam and Cube's attitudes towards women are simply despicable. Now, considering the time, that review really doesn't surprise me because, as I said, when you look at things on the surface and when you have people that 
may understand hip-hop but don't really understand hip-hop and also the context and what that music is being made, if you look at it just to the surface, of course you can come up with that conclusion. But he also said that the album was a disappointment. However, later on, that later on, Rolling Stone did a reissue of the rating. They raised the rating to three and a half stars in 1992. So this is two years after the album came out. And then they rated it up to five stars in 2004, saying that the album had great production and also great lyrics. Now, this just goes to show that as time goes on, that conclusions can change and also reviews and perspectives can change upon music. How one writer thought that it was garbage in 1990, but in 2004, they were hailing it as a classic. Now, also another review written by David Jeffries from All Music said that the street knowledge Venom with ultra fast funk worked splendidly throughout the album with every track hitting home. America's Most Wanted is timeless, riveting exercise in anger, honesty, and the sociopolitical possibilities of hip hop. Couldn't say any better myself. And that's exactly why I said you can't look at an album just at its surface and judge it based on that. Because with Cube, he was striving to do so much more. And with the freedom of him being a solo artist, he had the ability to be able to reach just further, just beyond the surface. Now we go to the ultimate test, the test to see whether this stands the test of time, whether it's a certified classic, borderline classic, or just a classic in its time. And you know the answer for me, this is a certified classic, and this has stood the test of time. To see some of the articles and the write-ups that have happened about this for over, for the 30-year anniversary, you can see the legacy that this has and the influence that this also has had over those 30 years. I mean, you, people can, can credit Ice Cube with really being one of the biggest solo rap artists to come out of Southern California, especially in the 1990s as hip hop started to grow larger in popularity. He would carve out a niche for himself and also a spot for him as one of the best artists in the game. And he would prove that over the next decade and a half. And some of the things that he did you could see, especially with the next album, Death Certificate and The Predator, into also sometimes with Lethal Injection. As that period passed, you saw him get in not just into from music to producing, but then also to having his own labels. You saw him start to get involved in movies and entertainment and television shows, and he really made himself into a mogul just beyond what on the surface you would see just as a rapper. He built himself into so much more. But this is a certified classic because this has stood the test of time. And to hear the backstories about this, that sort of adds to the mythology of this album when you understand and know that it was just not just a rap album, just talking about life in the ghetto. It was so much more. It was edutainment. It was education, also entertainment. And what we saw from Ice Cube later on, he continued to evolve as an artist and also evolve as a rapper and then also as an entertainer and eventually as a businessman and as a mogul, having a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, not just with N.W.A., but also for himself as an artist and also as an actor and entertainer. So that's America's Most Wanted, of course, released on Lynch Mob and Priority Records. Please make sure you go out and go listen to it. It is now 30 years old. Listen to it and now just don't just listen to it on the surface. Listen to it for everything else that it has to offer as well. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you check us out on our host on Podbean, vaultcmr.podbean.com. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to The Vault CMR on any of our platforms. Go to any of our social media page, you, pages. You will get to our link tree and be able to see all of our streaming platforms that are available and, of course, all of our social media channels. Just to remind you about what those social media channels are, it's at Vault CMR Podcast on Instagram, at Vault Classic on Twitter, and also you can find us on YouTube and also on Facebook. 
the vault classic music reviews by searching us there on searching that term you'll be able to find us please follow subscribe on any one of those platforms we love to interact with our fans on social media drop us a dm let us know what you want to see and what you like about the show we love of course interacting with all of you around the world and in this time of quarantine we want to make sure that we give you the content that you're looking for we appreciate all the support and if you have a friend tell a friend and make sure you tell that friend to tell a friend Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.